Welcome to More Devotedly, a podcast for people who see the arts as a force for positive, progressive change. I'm Douglas Dietrich. Thanks so much to all of you that came to our launch party at the 1905 in Portland, Oregon. It was great to play some music inspired by this podcast for all of you. And we'll be releasing details about the next live event soon. It's going to be really amazing, you guys. But until then, here's the next episode. In volume one of More Devotedly, we're thinking about this question. Who belongs here? Kunu Bertram, Northern Cheyenne, Ho-Chunk Nation, is a hip-hop and video artist based in Portland, Oregon. We talked about how he found a way to express his experience as an indigenous person in the United States through music and video by applying the ethic of the warrior to his artistic practice. To Kunu, a warrior isn't just a soldier. A warrior is someone who is of service to their community in whatever way they are able. We talked about the indigenous concept of the warrior and how it relates to a song Kunu has just released called Through the Battle Smoke. We also talk about one of Kunu's heroes, John Trudell, who was a leader of the American Indian Movement's occupation of Alcatraz, the former island prison in the San Francisco Bay from 1969 to 1971. This occupation achieved its most fundamental goal, to bring national and international attention to the discrimination and poverty that many Native Americans were suffering at the time. It set in motion a big shift in public opinion about Native Americans among non-Indigenous people, but also gave momentum to a reawakening of pride in Native culture among Native Americans. I don't subscribe to violent protest. But it's important to understand that this kind of protest has a long history. Think back to the barricades in the streets of Paris during the French Revolution to see what I mean. More relevant to contemporary American politics, though, are the right-wing protesters that occupied the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in 2016, who used the same tactic in service of a similar strategy. Though I don't see those right-wing activists as fitting this definition, Occupations like this have been a tool that the powerless have used to assert their views throughout the history of human civilization. Kunu's song, Through the Battle Smoke, is a soundtrack to that struggle and draws on his experience as a water protector at the Standing Rock protests. He steps in as an artist to give both an emotional and conceptual framework to that struggle to show how we can think of and feel about these contemporary warriors. He touches on both the eternal and the contemporary in the song, and that's what inspired me to introduce his work to all of you. Last, we talked about the representation of Native people in government and in society more broadly. Shows of strength, like protest, or a display of artistic prowess, or just the quiet presence of Native people doing their jobs, makes an important statement to young Native people that you can be a musician, a filmmaker, a doctor, or a member of Congress. In the interview, I incorrectly said that the two Native American women elected to the House of Representatives in 2018, Sharice Davids, Ho-Chunk of Kansas, and Deb Holland, Laguna Pueblo of New Mexico, were the first ever Native Americans in Congress. 
In fact, they are the first Native women to serve in Congress, though it's still a remarkable achievement. Sorry about the mistake. Here's our conversation. So my name is Kunu Bercham. Um, I'm a performing artist based in Portland, Oregon. Um, I'm Northern Cheyenne and Ho-Chunk Nation. Uh, those are my tribal identities and connections, but I'm also German. Uh, my mom was born and raised in uh, Berlin, Germany. So through that, I have a dual citizenship. Hmm. Um, I've been learning to try to introduce myself in that way. I see these hmm. like elder native folks that, you know, they like say, I'm from here and I'm from there and these are my connections. So, it, So that's something that you've been kind of cultivating. Yeah, and it's something that I, you know, I've seen my whole life. <clears throat> the old schoolers, you know, the elders who introduce themselves, they like introduce their mother's side, their father's side, their clans. Um a lot of the times they would introduce themselves in their language. Mm-hmm. And then after that was done, they would introduce themselves in English. I have a friend who works in Seattle who's also Northern Cheyenne and I've been like hitting him up. I'm like, Hey man, like how do you introduce yourself again? Like what was the what was the wording? Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm stepping into that realm, you know, as like a man that's getting older and like wanting to get, you know, connected to my roots. Like I feel like that is a really important aspect of indigenous culture. You told me about how you had performed at a school mm-hmm. and you had your son with you. Yeah. Like in a sling, right? <laughs> yeah. So you're, yeah, eight, 18 months old is your, your son. It's so cool to like just see like a little human being and just be like, ah, you're half of me and half of her. And that's <laughs> uh-huh. really cool. And like this universe existed without you and now it exists with you and you're going to make your mark and whatever you do, it's going to be so amazing. Congratulations. I'm really happy for you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yep. Know, so it's, yep. yeah, Shout out to Asa Sky and Shoshana. Holman, that's a baby mama, <laughs> mother of my child, <laughs> mm-hmm. my wifey, a super amazing partner, and then our baby, Asa Sky. Mm. Shout out, big ups. <laughs> there it is, yeah. <laughs> well, let's start talking about your so about your music, and also you do um, video production as well. So yeah. could you kind of just give us a overview of kind of the things that you do, and then just tell me about how you got where you are now? Yeah. All right. So um, I was always an extroverted little kid and it's like when my mom would go out shopping like I'd be chopping it up with like whoever like you know the butcher the cashier mm-hmm. like and my mom was like where, where the hell did you learn this from like I didn't teach you how to like just go and do this and so like I felt like I was always an extrovert growing up mm-hmm. and then um just being so amazed by storytelling um you know like I had traditional storytelling in my life as a kid but then when I saw it like visually and started watching awesome movies, the whole time I was like thinking, I was like, like this is super dope. But there's a cameraman and there's like hmm. there's like a boom operator. Sure. So yeah, I mean I was just always into entertaining, creating storylines, and then knowing that one day this is what I wanted to do. Hmm. But then to kind of fast forward a bit, um, when I was in middle school, I was in this uh really cool place it was northern new mexico i mean it was like you know what you would call like a quote-unquote ghetto school you know underserved population like i was lucky enough to have a really supportive family around me but this is just where i went to school Mm -hmm. um there was a lot of suicide um you know gang violence in middle school which Mm -hmm. is insane for me to think about right now there was a lot of Mm -hmm. depression and poverty and 
So the uh, the Santa Fe Community College came out to our school and did this after school program, where they you know just put like kind of like a sign up sheet, like do you want to do a a PSA against drugs and alcohol, you know, like the classic stuff, you know, sure. um, teen pregnancy, suicide, which was really big in our community mm. at that time. There were several mm. kids that passed away by their mm. own doing, um, you know, and that's just all out of hopelessness. But out of all of that, I was able to get into this after school program. And we, you know, like wrote mm. a script. We like made music, like it was really, really bad music, <laughs> and like a funny little, you know, skit that we wrote up. But um, that was my first taste of that. I forget what uh, program that was, but shout out to them for changing a lot of people's lives in a good way. And then now, fast forward, you know, seventeen years later, like I'm doing the same thing here in Portland. You yeah, know? like I'm working for. Um, you know, suicide prevention programs for mm. Indian country. Mm. Uh, I have a, a multimedia um, internship I do every summer. And um, it just feels great, you know, like to kind of complete that circle. And then now I can like hopefully inspire other kids to get on that path of like, you're the writer and director of your own movie. And that's like mind blowing to, mm. to people like, 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 yeah. wait, what? Like, <laughs> so I can wake up and decide how my life goes from this point on. I got to say real quick, uh, a big shout out to my my buddy, um, Rolando Crenshaw. It was like a very important time in my life in my early 20s when I was having some sort of meeting with people. And my buddy Rolando was like, boom, he said that to me like after the meeting. Right. And I was just like, oh, shit. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. So how did you come to hip-hop music? No, hip-hop, um, I mean, really, man, is, as long as I can remember, has always been a part of my life. And it's been mostly because of my uncle, Raul. You know, he raised me while my mom was working and going to school. And he was in high school. So this is my mom's uh, youngest brother. Mm. He was in high school and then, you know, would watch me after school. Like, my earliest memories are of my uncle Raul. You know, he had, like, his boombox and his tapes and... I mean, CDs were, like, not even, like, a thing yet. I just remember, like, all it was was, like, early 90s hip-hop, reggae, Santana was in the mix, Earth, Wind, and Fire, like, you know, just, like, party jams. So my uncle Raul is also the founder of this uh, hip-hop group, um, um, and it's called Burial Ground Society. Mm. And it's this idea of us as, like, indigenous creatives looking back to our ancestors through our burial grounds and our burial mounds, learning from the past. And then like we are the vehicle that uses it and then creates our own perspective of it. So BGS, Burial Ground cool. Society, that's yeah. uh, that's what my uncle started with a bunch of us. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's always been that, like really from mm. the very first beginning was like his hip hop tapes. You know, we all have so many different heroes and influences. And um, the uh, the two that I had thought of was uh, John Trudell and Winona LaDuke. Mm. Uh, so first of all, John Trudell, he was a part of the American Indian movement. I was 
always really inspired by John Trudell because what I believe his main purpose, you know, like maybe even like from a higher spiritual perspective was being like the poet mm. of the movement. Mm. Even though a lot of these leaders were very educated and very well-spoken and, you know, they knew their personal tribal histories, they knew American history, they knew dates of treaties and, you know, like certain tribal law, you know, politics and all that. But the one thing that stood out about John Trudell was he was like a wordsmith. Mm. You know, he was mm -hmm. a poet. Like he yeah. knew how to like put words together that just like cut to your soul and like inspired you. Um, so, and his music, you know, his music is amazing. And, and I have like a connection to John Trudell, you know, the American Indian movement through um, um, one of my grandmas, my gagas, um, Judy Buffalo, she, uh, you know, lived with us when I was, you know, a very young child. And I remember seeing her in like footage from the seventies, you know, like super eight camera footage at, you know, these occupations of Alcatraz and <laughs> wounded knee and, or, you know, these different places where she was at. And I was like, I was able to see her there and see like all right that's what a revolutionary is like that's my grandma you mm -hmm. know but then also know that she was really good friends with uh you know both uh john Trudell and winona leduc mm -hmm. you know like these people that i consider you know heroes of mine for what they did for indigenous people in the united states the one thing about john Trudell though was that you know he was a poet he was a wordsmith and for me i was like that is power to be able to, mm. you know, not only give you the facts about something and sure. be like, and that's what it is, but to do it and then also be like, just so poetic and cool and smooth about mm. it. Most white Americans at that time, I think it was the very late 60s, it kind yeah. of started like mm -hmm. 1968 or so. Yeah. And looking at that, you know, it it's, it's threatening. Right. I mean, and like... You're like, wait, I thought you guys were dead. <laughs> why, why complicate things? With, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reason it's threatening is because there's a lot of anger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I the mean... anger is very justified. Those two things, you know, together, that anger and this drive to um, kind of write these injustices, having a poet <laughs> involved in that can be... Oh, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that is the most threatening thing. Like, I mean, because you can, like, say as someone who doesn't want to hear about someone's struggle, if they're giving you, like, numbers and dates and facts, like, you can easily just be like, whatever. Like, yeah, mm. whatever that happened. But if someone's, like, giving you words and, and, and addressing it in a way, like, where they have a tone and a style, kind of, like, lulls you in, like, oh, that sounds cool. Oh, shit, now I'm being educated. God damn it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are not just enemies. These are people that I right. have yeah. something in common with. Yeah, it's like, damn it, I humanized them yeah. now that, that I'm enjoying their art form. <laughs> <laughs> right. I want to talk about a song that you just released. It's called yeah. Through the Battle Smoke. One thing that comes across really clearly is the imagery of a warrior. So what does it mean to be a warrior as an artist? I've imagined myself as a warrior before I even imagined myself as an artist. Mm -hmm. There are several ceremonies that I was raised in. And 
my very first teachings as like a little boy that could walk around and carry things was like help with what's happening, help with the process. You know, like if there's a fire that needs to be made, if you can't chop the wood, you can like carry the wood over there. And these ceremonies also, there's always a lot of people involved. So there's a lot of community. So there's also meals that are being prepped. And then there's dishes that are being washed. And there's this whole community process that happens. So like growing up, it was like, if you can help out, go and help out. To me, that is the concept of a warrior, someone who is helping the community. In the English translation, you know, a brave, you know, was translated to war, to battle, mm. because that's what the European colonizers saw was as we're taking your land. It's the men who are fighting for the land. You know, of course, the women and, you know, the elders are fighting as well. But like the physical battles are happening with, right. you know, the young men who are of age to go out and fight. Yeah. So that is like the English translation to what a warrior is. But I feel like the indigenous concept is someone who's just of service to the community. Mm -hmm. And so that was my concept of warrior before I even became an artist. To put artist on top of that is I feel like how I am. Using my art to serve my community. That's an interesting idea because as white Americans, we're looking westward and, you know, we're looking back you know, into like the 1860s here, but they, they were very much trying to say, these Indians are just savages, mm -hmm. just bloodthirsty. Everyone will be better off right. when mm -hmm. they are off the land and mm -hmm. um, either dead or in reservations. Right. And it takes away all those other parts of, of, of that humanity, right? Yeah, I mean, all, all everyone ever learned in public school was that last moment when it's like, you're pushing me and you're pushing me and you're pushing me and you're stepping on my vegetables and, you know, like, yo, like, get the fuck off my vegetables. Uh -huh. You're plowing over my field. This has been in my family for generations and you don't care about my vegetables. So I'm gonna have to kill you for my vegetables. It's not enough to think of a warrior as just a soldier. Right. So much more is happening there. Eddie Curtis can't keep me frozen, no in fact. I can blue with Ditty on the track. I give you that kick ass feeling as I'm drilling deep down into the spirit of America. Smells like fracking when I'm rapping because my float is on fire. That kind of reminds me of, you know, another song of yours called So Precious. And I would love you to tell me a little bit about it. So if you go to kunubertum.com, there's a beautiful video. Because you made both the music and the video, right? So for the video, I um, I created the treatment and the concept. And then my good friend, Laron Kachaya, he um, he shot it. He directed it. You know, I basically mm -hmm. just gave him, you know, the ideas and then just let him run with it. And then it was also produced by Isaac Trimble, mm -hmm. who um, these are both uh, native filmmakers based here in Portland. And they do amazing work, and they're busy all the time. And um, it's been really cool to just kind of grow with them. So the song is called So Precious, mm -hmm. right? Um, tell, tell us, what, what is so precious? I mean, life. Like, it's kind of amazing that we're just here in these, like, meat bags with bones inside of them. <laughs> yeah. And we have a brain, and we, mm -hmm. you know, like, we have vocal cords, and we can, like, I don't know, I'm, like, going to go on, like, a DMT <laughs> trip, you know? But, no, I mean, it's really amazing. Yeah. And then especially, you know, after, you know, becoming a father and seeing that and seeing my partner become pregnant and be like, holy 
crap, you are a portal to the spirit world. Like a spirit just came out of your body. Like you, yeah. like you hold the Stargate <laughs> yeah. within you, you know, like, and you know, like, so just like, just kind of sitting back and being like, wow, life is super amazing and precious and delicate. My dad used to say like, human beings are like frogs. Like our skin does breathe like frogs. You know, we ingest our atmosphere like, oh, we're just humans and we rule the earth and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. you know, pollute everything. It doesn't matter. It's like, no, like if you stand in that pollution for a week, you're going to get cancer. You know, we're we're part of everything. Yeah. I mean, I think that making a piece like that, you know, it's kind of taking on that poet role again. You're kind of bringing all those things together. Like this can all disappear. You know, we can all get sick. We can get hit by a car right. tomorrow. It's a song about death, you know, it's a song about life, but it's a song about death, you know. Um, it was spurred on by uh, my brother-in-law uh, getting uh, killed in a hit and run a few years ago. You know, his spirit, you know, the way I believe is, is still here and his human experience here on the planet was amazing. He was one of the best guys ever. His name's Shiloh. He was doing amazing work in Africa. And, you know, he was also like a cowboy. He was like, a, he was a cattleman. He was an Oregon backcountry guy. Yeah. But he was also like this, you know, like just super sweet, loving human being. And people said he was like Ferdinand, the oh, bull. The bull, right. That song, the writing process was spurred on by his passing and just... All of the sadness. Um, so this was uh, my partner Shoshana's younger brother. And I was like, how do I honor, you know, this brother's life? Well, I'm going to write about him. But then also, you know, like my, my dad was murdered when I was a little boy, when I was uh, two and a half. And um, recently several young uh, Native brothers here in Portland were murdered on some just ridiculous stuff where it was like, these are good human beings that don't deserve to die. And it's like, why does that happen? Yeah. I'm alive still. I can make an impact. So what I'm going to do is, you know, um, keep the memories alive of my loved ones that have passed and hopefully make an impact that's positive for the future. I've gotten some really amazing feedback from people um, who've listened to and watched that music video and, you know, like to me, I mean, like that's like the most meaningful thing. Like if nothing else happens in my, you know, air quotes music career, <laughs> you know, it's like, cool. Like I got one of those. That was awesome. Like, mm. you know, like that song helped me through my grief. Mm. I'm sorry to hear about that. But that's the song is beautiful and, and music has played a role in that similar role mm -hmm. in my life. As yeah. Well, you know, my my mom died of cancer a few years ago. And very similar, like, it, it took a while, but when I finally kind of came back to trying to do something creative, I, you know, wrote a whole bunch of songs, mm. you know, like about one, well, there's like one for her, one for my dad, one for my kids, one for my wife. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, so like, and that was really, it was healing. I mean, I was like, man, you know, yeah. you have to make something good out of, out of this. Mm -hmm. and so I, I went through a similar process. Going back to that idea of what the warrior's role is then mm -hmm. that you know seems perfectly a part of it right to anyone who's hearing it um here's how you can heal yeah um and to add to that what you're what you're saying like that that um kind of definition of what a warrior 
is or could be or, or what I think it is, that was your service to your family was writing those songs. You know, like it was a service to your grief as well, but it was like done in service. and sisters caught in this struggle of self-expression to the producers of magic to the consumers who grasp it and for our loved ones we've lost in this beautiful life that can be so tragic i guess this soak it all in because in a moment it could end on the physical plane but in the same vein energy is you know i think it's really important that we that we do talk about you know what the levers of power are in our society and the way we do that is through politics. You know, how do you see artists as being involved as change makers in our culture? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say is any politician, whether you like them or not, they have a song that they play every time they get on a stage. So, yes. you know, that's our power as musicians. Mm. You know, like we give them validity based yeah. on the stuff that we write. And then we have the option to say, hell no I don't want you to play my song or yeah I'll take your money you can play my song like <laughs> right, yeah. you know like so I mean just that in general like that is a power dynamic that should be discussed like sure. you know before they get on and do their whatever they do they have a song that they play. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like they're naked coming on stage without it. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like we, we give them clothes to wear. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I mean, that's so true. And it's such a, like, a... it's like people forget that. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like uh-huh. we prime the crowd for them mm-hmm. is something that people forget. Um, I mean, I can only speak for myself and I'm, I'm super engaged in politics, maybe not like on like a level of like going and volunteering for a politician, but I always, you know, stay up on local politics, world politics as much as I can. Um, And to me, it's just interesting. Um, You know, it gives me inspiration to write stuff. I mean, we're we have like the most diverse uh, political class that we've ever had Mm -hmm. in the United States. And it comes in a time where it's the most needed. Yeah. And to be perfectly blunt, um, it has been this agenda of keeping things comfortable for the land-owning white man that mm-hmm. has paved over America. Like, that is what our political system is set up as. The views of the people from the non-dominant culture are more needed now than ever, I think, in this time where we're in this climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're needing to know how to live with the environment and understand the concept that we are the environment. There were millions of people that lived on this continent before um, contact, and they got along pretty well with nature because they understood that they were nature. Mm-hmm. We have to get back to that and i feel like the women are the ones that know that the most because they're the life creators you know they're the life givers you know i feel like just to answer that question about politics you know all these women women of color women of different backgrounds and just specifically more women in those uh seats of power is super important and yeah. crucial you mentioned the the most diverse freshman class in the Congress right now. And so I, I believe there are two Native American members of Congress now. Mm-hmm. They're the first ones ever. 
mm-hmm. which is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's great news. It's all it's also terrible news right. that, that it's taken so long. Mm-hmm. But here we are, and and at least it's happened now. You, you mentioned already that you know you feel having more women involved in government is a hugely positive thing. Do you think that it's a sign of uh, things things that are changing? I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, it's really symbolically awesome, and they I think they had like the dopest picture where they were all just like posted up like all those women <laughs> Did you see that i think they were all like in uh-huh. like white suits or something yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that was badass i'll buy that album <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, for yeah. sure uh god i don't want to go into another tangent but um go <laughs> in indian country yeah i feel like i just learned this recently is um what we need is inspiration mm. and inspiration is a natural resource and it's something that humans create mm. i don't think like elk create inspiration for other elk i mean maybe they do i just don't know that you know i don't you know like but i feel like that's something that's really specific to human beings like we can create inspiration for other human beings and that inspiration that well of inspiration you know was you know taken away from indian country and i recently learned this from a super awesome native elder and uh, olympian billy mills we need inspiration And like, that's his whole thing is to give inspiration to native youth and then for them to go back to their communities and then be creators of inspiration because we won't do anything if we're not inspired. We'll just sit around and wait to die. In saying that, that's what they represent. Yes. (laughs) That's a great, that's a great. Yeah. 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 I think, I think you're totally right. And it's yet another example of how important representation Mm -hmm. can be. It was never a problem for me growing up as a young white male to see white male adults in positions of power. That was you could, you could be an normal. astronaut. You could be yeah. president. Uh-huh. You could yeah. be fireman. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Right. Yeah. So that was never a problem for me. Yeah. I think that diverse representation of seeing people that don't look like you in positions of power and doing great things and doing things that are inspiring is important as much for mm-hmm. you know a young white person growing up here Mm -hmm. as it is for anyone else i can certainly say that yes i think for a young native person growing up seeing native adults out in the world doing important work and doing inspirational work is incredibly important and particularly important you know yeah but i think that also you know i I would have to say that if there's a place where people can come together right and music has been that for me you know Mm -hmm. the arts have been that for me where you know i think that if i hadn't had that in my life, I'd be much, you know, just living in a smaller world, you mm-hmm. know, and so seeing all those women in Congress is really important for me too, you know, mm-hmm. and I, you know, so it's, it's like, I celebrate that too. I'm very excited about that and, and I want to see more and I want to see it continue. Right. Um, and so, so I don't know, I think, I think we sometimes say representation is only important for, for brown people mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. Know? and that's not true. It's important no. for everybody. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome that you're telling me that and I can, you know, I can now take that with me, your, you know, your experience that you shared because, you know, I think that is really important too. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, I think it should be just as inspiring and I hope it is. And if it isn't, you're just drinking Haterade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
try to connect this idea of that importance of representation to the role of an artist, an artist warrior that we've kind of been talking about. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, I just also want to start that, you know, these closing thoughts with um, saying a big thank you to Fish Martinez, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. 28 the Native, um, who we worked together with. um, And I was introduced to you uh, Mm -hmm. through Fish. So I saw Fish rap when I was like a kid, kid, Mm. like, you know, like and heard about him as like this rapper with braids. And I didn't even think that I could be a rapper if I wanted to be a rapper until, you know, like I saw Fish doing that, you know, when he was like in his early 20s and I was like, you know, seven or something, you know, (laughs) I mean, sorry, I'm not trying to date you, Fish. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it was that like I saw that and I was like, whoa, like there's this guy that's rapping. He's on stage. He's like dancing around like tribal style. He's got braids. I have braids, you know, because that's a big thing for Indian boys having braids is, you Mm. know, like, oh, that's a girl. Like, you know, and that's that's Mm. something that, you know, sticks through for a lot. So, like, I think that's also a big reason why Native guys keep their braids as they become men. You know, it's like, yo, man, fool. Like, you know, like, (laughs) and I got cool ass braids, (laughs) you know. So um, just to see him gave me, like, I can do that, you know. And so... That's really, I think, been my main mission through being, you know, a filmmaker and a musician and just someone who wants to the, create media and then understanding the importance of media and branding and marketing. I want to be able to, through myself and then through other people that I that I can find that are doing awesome things in, you know, Indian country, indigenous folks, find them, promote their work, their music, their art. I recently got connected with... Um, OHSU. OHSU has a whole department that is geared towards finding uh, Native folks throughout the United States and I mean, like Canada, Mexico, like indigenous wow. folks, and bringing them to OHSU and bringing them into their medical school and having them become doctors and whoever they want to be. And it's called the Northwest Center for Native American Excellence. Hmm. And so I connected through them with them through... The, the doctor who runs that, um, he's a he's a clothing designer on the side. Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, their company's called GNU. Um, but, you know, it's all about representation. And so, like, I'm just trying to do my part for Indian country, for Native youth younger than me, to either show them that you can be a musician or a filmmaker, or if not that, you know, connect them to, you can be a doctor, you could be, you know, whatever, you know, so it's like all about representation so, Mm. so, so much. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that is my mission as as of now Mm. is just to um, promote that as much as I can, Um, you know, finding um, Native folks that are doing awesome things and and elevating them. So, I mean, you've talked specifically about Native youth and Mm -hmm. How do you help them feel like they have somewhere that they belong to through that process? I mean, representation, you know, that I think that's the first part is seeing a possibility of yourself and, you know, saying like now, like there's a neural pathway, like, oh, my God, I didn't think I could be a doctor. But now that I see a doctor that looks like me, now I can. OK, what do I have to do? Boom. I got to do this. I got to do that. Do, 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 do. Now I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. And just like creating that kind of train of thought 
solidifies the idea of belonging in American society, specifically for Native people, because the idea of us belonging here, I think for our grandparents for sure, and then our great-grandparents, was they were scrubbed of that idea. Like, Mm. you don't belong here unless you become American and forget your your native ways <laughs> because of the youth culture and because of Twitter and Instagram and all of these different, I mean, and there's so many other social media sites right, that yeah. like, I sound like old and fucking like, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Like, like, like you don't know about this. You don't know about that. So whatever, because of these social media sites, what I noticed going to these youth conferences and working with them is they have already decided that they belong mm. without our help. Like, you know, which is awesome. They belong to their own online societies already. That was, wow. the, that was the point that I was trying to get to. It's like, I'm washed. I'm old. Like, I, you know, I'm trying to figure it out right now. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, that's amazing. That's super encouraging. So I got to learn about that. You know, like, if there's any youth listening to this, tell me about <laughs> how I connect. <laughs> I need to belong, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, teach Papa Kunu. <laughs> that's great, yeah. man. Well, Thank you so much, Kuno. I, this was super fun, and I it's been really fun to get to know your work better and to you know talk about all the stories behind it, and thanks so much. Dude, thank you, Douglas. Thanks for having yeah, me. Man. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your story and music with us, Kunu. To learn more about Kunu and his work, head on over to moredevotedly.com. I've got links to his music and videos there, and I definitely recommend a deep look at both. If you want to keep up on what's happening here at More Devotedly, you can join our mailing list at moredevotedly.com. Or you can join our Facebook group and like our Facebook page, or follow us on Instagram. Just search More Devotedly on all those platforms. And I know you hear this all the time on the podcasts you listen to, but a big way you can help us is by leaving a review on the show's Apple podcast page. Even better, you can share the podcast with your friends and threaten them with an abrupt end to your relationship if they don't listen. Seriously. Next time here on More Devotedly, I'll be talking with cellist Anna Fritz and actor Paul Soucy. They performed a play called An Iliad in prisons across Oregon last year. The stories they have to share from this experience are unforgettable. Stay tuned for that. This episode was produced by me, Douglas Dietrich, in Portland, Oregon. I composed the introduction and interstitial music. There's some serious vibe there, right? The other music you heard was by my guest, Kunu Bercham, and by my super talented kids. What you're doing is beautiful. Can you do it more devotedly?